It's four in the morning, the end of December. I'm writing you now just to see if you're better. New York is cold, but I like where I'm living. There's music on Clinton Street all through the evening. I hear that you're building your little house deep in the desert. You're living for nothing now. I hope you're keeping some kind of record. Yes, and Jane came by with a lock of your hair. She said that you gave it to her that night that you planned to go clear. Did you ever go clear? Oh, the last time we saw you, you looked so much older. Your famous blue raincoat was torn at the shoulder. You'd been to the station to meet every train, then you came home without Lily Marlene. And you treated my woman to a flake of your life, and when she came back, she was nobody's wife. Well, I see you there with the rose in your. One more thin gypsy thief. Well, I see James away. She sends her regard. Possibly say, I guess that I miss you. I guess I forgive you. I'm glad you stood in my way. If you ever come by here for Jane or for me, will your enemy? Sleeping, and his woman is free. Yes, and thanks for the trouble you took from her eyes. I thought it was there for good, so I never tried. Jane 
Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijay Arnathan. Um, today's Monday, May 20th at 8 a.m. Um, we have a co-host coming up uh, in a few minutes uh, joining us. Uh, Jessica Hines, she'll be joining us in a few minutes. But right now we have um, Alina Jennings, who is the author of Songs from an Apartment, Underground Books 2017, and Memory Project 41 2018, which is a recipient of the 2018 Queen's Art Council New Works Grant. Um, her translations of Ukrainian poetry appeared in anthologies such as Words for War, um, The Kitchen Poet, Poetry International and Wolf. Her translations of um, Irina Sulvalova's poetry collection will be released in 2019 by Lost Horse, Lost Horse Press. She's the curator of the Post of Queens reading series. Welcome, Alina. Thank you, Vijay. Thank you, thank you. So we were talking a little bit about... Um, right before the show about poetry and about the role of poetry in society and getting people to come to these poetry readings. Sometimes it can be difficult to generate a crowd, but we want to talk about like what, you know, to kind of convince people that poetry readings are really valuable to go to and, um, and what the, what the role of poetry is in society. What do you think? uh, What what are some of the advantages you want to kind of pitch to people about the, the role of poetry in society? Yeah. Okay. I'll start by saying that uh, a poet from Ukraine told me that the role of poet of a poet there may be almost like a psychologist, that people would come up to her after readings and tell her what they related to her in her poetry and also um, about their own problems. And uh, I guess people here maybe don't perceive poetry as something that that can help them uh, also express feel like they're expressing or someone's expressing for them their feelings. So um, that that could be one role. Yeah, I think definitely the poet is like, in my perception, like the the shaman or seer, kind of bringing out those psychological right. areas and and teasing out those those really deep emotions, you know. So um, yeah, talk a little bit about like. Uh, also translation and how you're able to, uh, you know, bring, bring, a, bring a bridge in using language between different languages and such. Yeah. Um, well, I started translation uh, at the University of Alberta when I was doing an MA there. And I found that I could relate to Ukrainian as a language because even though I had always spoken it growing up, I had never really been immersed in it in a way that... Um, I'm reading poetry and I'm reading fiction. And so when I started reading poetry, I found a really strong connection to it. And so I uh, translated one poet, Natalka Bilotserkivets. I translated her whole collection, which was called Allergy. And um, from then on, I, I kind of started 
I felt I felt like I had a foot in the door in the in poetry community and mm-hmm. and started translating more. Um, so the two books you have there are um, one one is by Taras Milkovich and the other is by Anna Malihon, and um, they're both rather prominent poets in Ukraine. Cool, cool. And uh, what were some of the issues that came up? Uh, some of the problem areas, or what were some of the things that some of the challenges maybe that um, you presented that were able to overcome? Or yeah. Well, some of the tr- uh, challenges with translation um, in poetry are that the poem sometimes can be a bit obscure, uh-huh. and I feel like I need to understand it in order to be able to translate it. So sometimes I'm creating my own meaning, and I guess that's how I overcome the challenge, by deciding what it means for myself, which might be different than what it means for the poet. Yeah. Uh, can you elaborate on what you mean by obscure? Or can you elaborate on that? Uh... Um, well, maybe I'll read one of these poems by Taras Milkovich, and um, and then you can uh, we can talk about certain areas. Yeah, okay. Great. The chase was on. We ran down the stairs, pretending to be raindrops dripping down a slanted roof. The hotel mirror spoke to us, and we smeared clay all over us. You said it was an anti-glare. The mirror wouldn't be able to show our reflections, so we did not ask it if we knew our names. We stood there covered in clay, so lush, so unrecognizable, like unfinished ceramics still undecorated. When was the last time you mixed paints? Oh, those countless brushstrokes you smeared onto canvases. Then your old mirror saw them and spoke to every paint, mimicking sounds. Good, said to the green. Good, said to the blue. If only the paints could speak, they would chime like the mirror, like glass. Then the chimes would be joined by the music of the raindrops dripping down the roof, slowly permeating us. We danced side by side, spreading our hands so broadly that a train could run between them, and then abruptly we fused together the pigments of our clothes merged. There were so many of them that the mirror became tongue-tied. And behold, our names appeared on it. It's time to allow other raindrops to drip from other roofs. Thank you, thank you. So lines like, it's time to allow other raindrops to drip from other roofs, yeah. I found I didn't really understand what the heart of that was. Uh. So I, it, it, I was lucky I was able to work with the poet and write, um, kind of write my own version of it. Mm. That's good. That's good. We were talking a little bit. Jessica Hines just joining us at Meditative Writing. Welcome, welcome. Hello. My apologies. The the taxis of the world were in <laughs> our way, but I fought my way here to make sure I could be here. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank, thank, you. thank you. We were just talking with Alina Jennings about translation, the problems of translation to poetry, and uh, some of the role of poets and the poetry mm-hmm. and the poet in society. Um, we were talking a little bit about Ukrainian and how. Uh, some of the issues come up with translating, training poetry. So Alina was just saying that um, sometimes I guess these these uh, metaphors or these images or symbols are very internal to the poet, very much meaning meaningful to them. Right. But then, uh, you know, there's a whole discourse on writing and poetry uh, uh, or just writing in general that like once you 
written it, you have to follow the internal logic of the piece itself. Would you agree with that, or like, or how would you how would you understand that? Yeah, definitely. Um, the internal mm-hmm. logic. I mean, every for me, a poem is something that's very internal. Yeah, and I think that was one of the reasons that I started writing poetry in the first place was because I felt that I had a lot of feelings and that I could express. And then after that, it moved beyond my own feelings and kind of to, to, to explore different images and different landscapes and um, different, different, different characters even. Mm-hmm. So also you write about uh, Queens poetry being Queens, New York poetry is being one of the inspirations. So tell us a bit about place and location, how, that might inform your poetry, how, um, and also about histories and such. Well, place definitely informs my poetry. Uh, I've lived in Queens for about five years now, only, and um, there's there are so many beautiful uh, uh, landscapes there, like the water running along the water. It's just beautiful, and I feel like sometimes that I try to express these landscapes in a poem and also traveling a lot like I haven't traveled that much recently but uh, in the past I traveled a lot and I would use these new landscapes because I felt like they invoked evoked a new feeling that would be present in the poem Mm. so um yeah yeah and it's really great that you have uh you got the new works grant from memory project 41 uh, thank yeah, you. Congratulations. Uh, maybe you can t- tell us a little bit about that project and um, kind of jumping around, but yeah. Well, the memory project started with old family photographs, and I wanted to write poems about them to bring them to life in a different way. Mm. And so I started the memory project by just looking at the photographs and writing poems. And um, the memory project kind of took a, a lo- longer trajectory and I started sewing dresses as well that were reflections of the poems. So it was like translation of the poems into art. Mm-hmm. And um, so I displayed this all at Queens farm and um, d- performed the poems and displayed the dresses. So that was the event. Yeah. I use uh, family photographs from your own family, right? Or yes. Yeah. Good. Good. Yes, yeah, some from um, my grandparents were in a displaced persons camp in Germany, and some were from that displaced persons camp, and some were from the farm that they first worked on in Wisconsin, and then some a little later. Mm. So those dresses then are like a translation of a translation of a translation of a translation of actual events. Right. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you know, photography, like photos, yeah. they're they're an art form. They're like capturing something. And then you did the poems and that it, I've never experienced that many levels of. Yeah. But that's like so beautiful. That's so cool. The idea that, you know, like one thing can lead to another, can lead to another, can lead to another. And yeah. Like that's I don't know I I was just I was like I've never heard of anyone making 
clothes based off of poetry. He's based off of photographs based off of real life. Yeah. That's awesome. It's really great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I, I took a translation, a very short translation workshop at the Ugly Duckling Press. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I learned a lot in that workshop because they kind of showed that translation wasn't just words. Um for example, I had the, the or they actually gave me this wonderful idea that Mallarmé would write a lot about clothing, about fashion, and I thought, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful to translate his writing into an actual piece of clothing? But I haven't actually got around to that doing that yet. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you have to like in translating in my cursory understanding is that you almost have to get into the head of the poet, you know, kind of figure out what the internal logic is and what the, and kind of understand or internalize, would you say that's accurate or kind of internalize or kind of like internalize the, the inner landscape of the poem or how would you say you would put that? Right. Um, I think, well, for me, I've actually known most of the poets that I've translated. So this step actually hasn't been as difficult, but when I've tried to translate earlier poems, uh, like, for example, Anak Matava, Russian poet, I've tried to translate some of her work, and I found that it is more difficult just because I'm getting into the head of someone who I've never met. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I think. I mean, I think translation is such a beautiful and amazing thing because for those of us who have desperately tried but only speak one language fluently, yeah. but a little bit of many languages, like, I would feel... Very sad if I couldn't have interacted. Some of my favorite works are, are, you know, just not originally written in English. And yet, like, with poetry, I think it's the hardest thing. Because I, I just know, like, when I write poetry, I'm like, it's so... I'm not even sure I understand it. Like, yeah. everything that it needs to be. And, and I would think about my poetry in such a different way if someone was translating it to another language and asking me questions. And I just... I, I don't know. I just think it's this baffling thing where I'm like, I don't I don't know, like... Does it inherently change the poem? Does it, in, you know, like I, I think the translator, when it comes to poetry compared to any other written form, you know, like you become part of the artist of that piece. Like it, it it's I think it's different than translating other art forms. If I don't Right. Know if <laughs> I think so, too. Um, I guess I can give the example of people who um, some friends have translated my poetry into Ukrainian and they have asked me questions they've asked me to like does this sound right and sometimes they've gotten things i want i don't want to say totally wrong because they it looked fine it was it was a good poem but mm-hmm. it was just not my poem anymore well oh so you so that's interesting that you've also had other people translate your work but you were able to actually like read it and know like oh like that's not the direction i was going in right that's fascinating. I wish I wish I knew language well enough to know if someone was <laughs> translating it in that direction. Um, I don't know, like when you sit down and you look at something and I mean, do, you've mostly worked with people who you have the ability to ask them questions. But is there a moment first where you take into consideration like what your experience with the piece is? Oh, definitely. And I also... Um... Even even if I don't know a word, I'll just skip past it. Like I'll translate mm-hmm. it first without a dictionary because I find if you if you're like looking things up, you already have some kind of influence on what mm-hmm. you what the poem should be. Some outside force telling you it should be this. This word should be this. But maybe it's something different. Maybe in the mm-hmm. context, it's something different. 
Yeah. Right. So that's like in the creative process, how usually there's this like instinctual run through for like, and then there's like the going to research or looking up at the more intellectual, like left brain side of things. Right. Yeah. Which to me is super fascinating because again, like as someone who doesn't have that capacity, I, I just like, but I love that idea that you sit down and it is like an art, the way that in any other artistic form, you first go to instinct, instinct to the right side of the brain and you create. And there are little holes that you then can go in and do research or technical things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but that is like, it sounds like it's a really pleasurable experience for you. Cause like your face lit up when you were talking about that. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely. Pleasurable. I mean, is it, is it on the same level of like, just origin like originally writing a poem it, or is it different for you or. It's different because I can do it anytime pretty much. Whereas mm-hmm. writing a poem, I need some inspiration and even if I sit down I'm like okay I'm gonna write a poem right now because I really want to write a poem I like it doesn't work (laughs) and but translation I can pretty much do anytime so like with writing original poems you're like the poem has to come to you but when it comes to translation you can go to the poem right that's exactly it. that's awesome it's interesting I want that yeah yeah. (laughs) and also one of the techniques you wrote down in the guide is about uh, it takes the writing poetry seems like one of the techniques you use is to connect um, disparate events. So can you tell a little bit about like one of the techniques you use, some of the techniques you use, especially with making connections or forming connections between different things and, and how that maybe plays out in a poem of yours um, or how that kind of, or that technique. Uh, All right. Uh, yeah. um, so I do believe that one thing that makes a poem really good is if, it connects very disparate moments. So maybe I'll have an idea for a poem and I'll think, okay, I'm going to write this poem about this lake or something. And then something later will come up and it'll just connect to this landscape. Mm. And I'll think, okay, that's the poem that there was a connection and these two things should be together. Yeah. But, but in life they're really not together. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like uh, the verbal filter we use on Instagram. It's kind of like creating a filter on these events, kind of putting this or superimposing this other psychological landscape or this this uh, uh, another event or another transposing and then blending them together so that then they, they create a new picture, like a, a Photoshop or something like that. Or oh, how yes, we do Im- exactly. an imagery. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we get an example? Um, you have, uh, either, what would you like to read now? So either Songs from Apartment or... Um, I'll read uh, from songs from an apartment. Yeah. Um, let's read Wanderings. She knew nothing of her father except that he was an ice sculptor. And so she could not even search out his sculptures because they would melt by the time she got there across the country. She had an affinity towards cold places, talked about Alaska and took showers that left goosebumps on her skin. During our road trip, she leaned out the open window so far I wasn't sure she was even paying attention. I was talking about how I wanted to go someplace where there would be dinosaur bones, where I could press my body to the earth and feel something ancient. We are all looking for some lost memory, she said. I wondered if she was just repeating what she had read in the book she kept opening at food stops. There was grease on some of the pages, and they often smelled like the previous meal. 
I was always hungry for what I had eaten last. Thank you, thank you. Snap, snap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good, good. So, um, yeah, tell us, why don't you dissect that poem? Tell us a little bit about kind of the different moments or the different feelings or emotions that were connected. Sure. Yeah. Um, so one thing, uh, I guess the first thing is the ice sculptor. And I actually had a childhood friend whose father was an ice sculptor. Um, so I kept thinking about that because we had gone once to see his sculptures and it was a sunny day and I just had been so worried that they would melt. And, um, the dinosaur bones, uh, is a reference to another place, which is to Alberta where I went to school to do the MA and, um, the landscape was very, I felt was very ancient. And when I was driving there, there would be really long roads and um, with nothing on either side. And I felt that I would find dinosaur bones there. So those are two, I guess, two moments that were connected there. Mm. Yeah. And it seemed like you talked a little bit about like um, how the physicality of poetry and how like putting, creating place and time, creating a specific moment or melding a specific moment or creating a specific moment. If you talk a little bit about what's your understanding of the physicality of poetry is and the ways in which worlds and bodies are connected? Um, the physicality kind of comes to me through the rhythm of the poem. Sometimes there'll be a lot of repetition. I feel that I can really internalize. Um, I guess this started when I was reading Jamaica Kincaid and I felt even this, this is a fiction book, Lucy, but I felt a, a really strong rhythm in her work and that transferred over to my poetry mm-hmm. with a lot of, a lot of repetition. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And tell us a little bit more about Jake and Kay's Lucy so that then the audience will get a little bit of better sense of what it's about or how it influenced you and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, it influenced me because I went to hear um, a long time ago, probably in seventh or eighth grade uh, I went to hear her read at the university and she read this chapter about sucking on a boy's tongue and I thought wow (laughs) that's interesting but anyway um, the repetition really had me um, really had me enthralled and I continued I took the I got the book and I got her to sign it and I took the book home and it was it was an amazing book to me about a girl who came to work as an au pair in the United States and one thing that is amazing to me without giving anything too much away was that it ended in sadness and I had always been taught that a book should have a happy ending oh uh, yeah (laughs) i think that's the sign that you're a poet when you're like oh i'm attracted to the sad (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you were uh you talk a little bit about the uh speaks to your views on happiness you brought this up in the pre-interview question you talk a bit what do you think about the poet and the and the role of happiness in uh in uh in our in our lives or in society or anything like that we seem to you know it's such a culture of self-help and such a culture of you know there's such a push towards 
you know, we discover our own happiness and teachings on happiness, teachings on on how to be happy and you have to be happy and all that kind of thing. I don't know. What do you think? Right. Um, I think I put the quote by yeah. Osip um, Mandelstam in the questions about how he said, what makes you think you should be happy? Yeah. And um, I guess for the poet, the poet should experience all, (laughs) you know, happiness and sadness, but is it necessary to be happy? I don't don't think so. Mm. And what would replace (laughs) that or what would replace the meaning or what would replace that? What would be the goal then or alignment or meaning or I don't know. What would be kind of the, the purpose or the driving force? I mean, people think that, you know, I want to be happy. That's my, that's my engine. But what would be the engine for you? Like, uh, that really drives you towards meaningful. Towards meaningful existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it's definitely writing. I have always felt that even when I didn't have a way to express myself kind of within society, that I could express myself on the page. Mm. And um, I, for a long time, I actually kept this a secret that I was a writer and I did never, I never said those words and, but yet it really made me happy. It it made me content. It made me, it it gave me something to live for, I guess, Mm. always. It almost feels like, almost sounds to me like you're saying like, you want to look at things the way they are without any kind of filter or any kind of, you know, uh, prejudgment, but just to be in the place where you are and not, and just really examine that. Would you say that's kind of captures what you're saying or yes, like definitely. almost like a scientist would kind of examine what things are and, and not be like, I, I need it to be this or I need to be that, but rather really just being with what's there. You know, I feel like I'm hearing. Right. Yeah. And it's really important to really extract from every moment what you can. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting with poetry compared to the other, you know, I do a lot of screenwriting and playwriting and storytelling and mm-hmm. like, but I started in poetry and I find that like the most, the, to me, there's such a huge difference because I've always experienced poetry as more of like a photograph. I'm like, this is a truth. This is a moment. Like this is what internally what was going on compared to like the creation of a, of a plot and a story, you know, through a mm. film and I, I think that that's like the thing that poetry is most amazing in the fact that like it, it can be very scientific in the way that is a and like it is this approach to capturing a truth and then sharing it versus necessarily creating on, on one level can creating like something entirely new. And, and I think that there's a lot of it requires a lot of curiosity rather than judgment compared to a lot of other forms of creation, I think. Right. And I think when you're creating something with a plot, that becomes the focus, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, it's with poetry, you're doing something, you're, you're focused in other places. Yeah, like, uh, I think in a poem, like, or at least for me, the, the, the heartbeat is like the, the emotional truth. Versus when you get into storytelling, it's like the story and the cause and effect, the emotional logic. Mm. There's an emotional logic to that in the translation to the audience that you have to follow. Whereas in a poem, it's like you can go anywhere with it. Like, you know, you, there, it's just like 
boundless and boundaryless. And, and to me, it's like one of the most, the freest forms of communication, which also makes it, in my opinion, the most difficult to teach or, cause like if someone looks at you, they're like, how do you write a poem? Like the only thing I can say is like, just tell the truth. Like there's mm. no rules for me other than just like, let it be honest. Whereas when I'm working with someone who's like, I want to write a screenplay, I'm like, let me list the 10,000 million rules <laughs> and things like, this is how you format it. This is how it starts. And so I'm always, I don't know. Like, I just find that people who've dedicated their life to poetry, there's a certain level of surrender mm. that almost gives me anxiety that the <laughs> other forms of writing, yeah. like help me feel in control of. But yeah. even though like I still feel at my freest when I'm writing poetry, but I don't know, like I, I do think it's kind of like this magical space where you have to be so grounded and you have to be so familiar with yourself in order to do it. And I think that's hard for a lot of people these days. That's very true. And I, I believe actually, I mean, for me, writing something that's a story is more difficult and <laughs> Um, so I did the MFA at Columbia in writing fiction mm. because I felt like I had to learn how to write a story. Whereas with a poem, I felt that it it was a more natural experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, I, yeah, I think they're, the thing I love is like when I run into other artists, how for some people lies, which essentially is fiction in the most beautiful way possible is creating a lie that contains a truth for people like mm. that those lies are easier you know versus with some people the truth is and and i do i think that that the place where when there are people who naturally find comfort in weaving truth out of lies they go to screenwriting or novel writing more naturally and people who find more release in truth even if that is more painful you know, have a tendency to be more naturally inclined to move towards poetry. Mm. I think it's interesting to think about form and freedom because, um, you know, what I find like um, even with improv or with all these different techniques of, of writing freely, where you're supposedly free, you know, or the presumption is you're free to do whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I find the structure does evolve. You know, I feel I find like the second you put the first line down, you're creating like a expectation or promise of, what's to come. And then at least my experience of writing a poem, uh, not so much poetry, but a, a specific poem is that like um, the first line defines the poem. And then you have to kind of unravel yourself from that net that you created with that first line. And then you're restricted in some ways because you're kind of like, you know, I've already set down the tone. I've already set down the first line. And then, you know, trying to find your way back to that emotional truth uh, through a journey um, seems to be like the the tension between, you know, being free and being uh, restricted. You know, what is your experience of that form versus freedom? Um, I usually begin a poem with an image. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I'm writing a poem right now that is a silhouette uh, about a silhouette of a woman. And so I have that image in my mind. So it's not necessarily the first line, mm -hmm. but it's just something that's um, a motif throughout mm. so i um i think when i'm writing fiction i would i would start with a first line definitely and um have it evolve from that but with poetry 
I sometimes start in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting about our process and, and how that evolves or changes over the years and all this kind of thing, you know, and how, how has your process evolved or changed uh, as it, as you progress or how your influence on translation maybe has impacted your original poetry writing? It has because um, it just has taught me about like the Irina Shuvalova poet poetry that I'm translating for um, Lost Horse Press. It it taught me actually to go further with the poem because I found myself, I, although I didn't notice this before I translated her, that I would be writing and I would stay on the surface. But there was something about her poetry where she wouldn't stop. She It would just kind of the image would go on and on and I, and I, in a good way. And so I started to think, well, what if I t- took my poems further? Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, talking about like, just riffing off that, like talking about like one of the basic foundations of improv is if this premise were true, what else is true? And trying to find all the tree roots and trees and, and branches that come from a specific premise, whatever, whether it be, the guiding image or whether it be the first line or whether it be the kind of central heart of the poem, kind of figuring out, well, what else kind of is the consequence of that or what else naturally comes out of that or flows out of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Or what's your thoughts on kind of like, like logic or something? Or, I don't know, reason or logic versus emotion and um, feeling. Do you think do you, how you find the marriage between the two or? I, Hope to find a marriage between the <laughs> yeah. two. Yeah, so um, I think. Yeah, I think when I first started writing poetry, it was just it was very emotional, and I didn't think of logic, or yeah. I didn't, I didn't think of anything really outside myself. It was very, um, just way too much me. Yeah. So, so um, I think as my process has evolved, I've kind of took taken a step back and hopefully been able to incorporate outside forces in my poems. Mm. So also uh, talking about influential people and influential, uh, cause you had the memory project 41. We t- discussed a little bit. And uh, one of the, one of the questions uh, was about the story of something that happened to you that taught you the most important life lesson you've received up till now. Uh, you mentioned a family member and uh, I believe a grandmother who had uh and the influence or impact these kind of things it had on you? Um, yeah, my grandparents always had a really strong influence on me. We lived with them most of my life when I was growing up. And um, and that's uh, also how I learned Ukrainian. And, um, and, a, and a lot of um, emotional lessons like... Uh, a lot of a lot of sadness I felt that was passed passed down on to me. Mm. Yeah, can you elaborate on like how um, you know we were talking a little bit earlier about the the happiness versus sadness and you know and those kind of stuff and how that kind of maybe opened right. you up uh, or living life to the fullest opened you up to kind of understand your understanding of that uh, that kind of heaviness or how if you use another <laughs> word if you translate that word sadness into something else would it be the heaviness or would it be a, um, what, what, what would that translate into? <laughs> Maybe a skepticism, skepticism about the world. Yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting. Kind of a 
not wanting to, um, I don't know, um, not not wanting to accept a, a truth. Oh. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I've been talking a lot with my with my writers um, about the dangers of convenience culture, which we've talked a lot about on yeah. the show, and it's been it's been stirring in me a lot. And I've been doing a lot of analysis of understanding how this desire for things to be easy or comfortable. What I'm starting to realize right now is I, like, I really feel like it's an enemy of art that I think, yeah. you know, art and poetry and art through the written word is requires us to go into places in ourselves that are not easy or convenient. Right. Yeah. And so I think something where it's like being able to see more generations growing up or being in a place where you get to be a witness to perhaps a sadness that you don't particularly have, but you can just being witness to that allows you to have a more open-minded ability to not just seek out what is comfortable, but seek out what is, is true or what is connection or something beyond that. And I'm, you know, thinking a lot about Siddhartha now and just this concept of what we are exposed to as we're growing up, what our normal is Mm -hmm. and that, you know, or like, you know, just getting, or even like, you know, getting a vaccine or just like a little bit of exposure, something allows a great strength and a tolerance and this ability to live with something, but not be negatively affected by it. And I think when it comes to sadness, there are so many people that don't seem to be able to like sit with sadness. Mm. They have to block it out. And it sounds like you've made sadness like a wonderful friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. I mean, I, I, I resent a little bit when, you know, you say you're feeling sad and someone says, oh, well, what can you do to to fix that? Or what can we do to mm-hmm. fix that? Because I'm like, well, maybe I'm not looking for something to fix that. Maybe I just, you know, want to let it be and they'll pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you made a good point, too, about comfort and um, allowing yourself to sometimes be in an uncomfortable situation because you'll gain actually you'll really gain a lot from that. I, I think it's a requirement for artists. I'm just like, there's so many things where I'm talking to my writers and I'm like, they're like, oh, but that's really uncomfortable. And I'm like, but that's like, I was like, that's that's necessary for like, yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess for me, writing is like 99% going to the most uncomfortable part of my soul that I've been ignoring and being like, all right, we're going to sit here and it's going to be okay. And I, I think I think people don't realize how, how much we can experience emotionally and like still be functional and still be okay. And that, yeah, like I've reached over the past, like six months, uh, six weeks, I've been like really being like, I need, you know, practicing being okay, feeling sad and being like, it's okay. And it's, it's amazing how when I was more dysfunctional, when I was trying not to feel sad or trying not to talk about being sad or present as if I wasn't, Versus just when I was like, okay, like I'm letting go of a lot of anger of a past abusive relationship underneath that anger. As soon as I let go of the anger, this great sadness filled it. And I was like, I'm just going to allow it to be here. And I'm like, as long as this sadness wants to stay, I will allow it to be here. And I was so the most surprising thing for me is I was like, it wasn't bad. I was like, oh, this is okay. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm okay. I am sad. 
I am literally – there's like a whole day I didn't even get out of bed. I was just like cocooned with pillows mm. and I thought I would beat myself up and be like, oh, you need to get up. You need to write. You need to go to the gym. I go, go, go. And when I just – I was sitting there and I was like, no, I was like, I'm just going to be here and I'm going to feel sad. And I was so surprised that within like 20 minutes, my body was just like, this is okay. Like, mm. this is all right. And And as someone who thinks of themselves as a very mindful person, I was like, oh, yeah, like – it's okay to feel, you know, and like not to try to control the emotions, but rather like we can ride them, you know, think of it like a surfing the ocean rather than trying to control the ocean. And I just find that poetry is absolutely the best thing if yeah. you're like right. in bed sad. Yeah, I really appreciated, I really was moved by the idea that when told or when, you know, when confronted by the idea that someone said that, you know, not to like try to fix it. I, I was very moving. I was very interesting. I uh, kind of thinking about that. I think it's so easy for an outsider to be like, you know, oh, what can we do to fix this problem? You know, it was kind of thing, you know, oh, you're feeling sad. Okay. Let's do something to make you feel happy, you know? And, you know, questioning what is the, uh, what is the offering or gift that this, uh, or what is the lesson or what is the, um, exchange that needs to happen with that emotional life, that emotional side that, that, that 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 presence of sadness or the presence of heaviness or the presence of skepticism is there to teach you a lesson or show you something or reveal something or give you an insight about something in the process. Uh, what are your thoughts on that kind of thing or that kind of a, a perspective? Does that kind of match you or does that give something uh, a little bit uh, differently? Um, I don't know if it's supposed to give you a lesson, but mm. I feel that it does it makes you see the world in a different way, definitely. And it makes you see, uh, kind of evaluate what's important to you. Because, for example, when you're really sad, you're not going to do everything that you usually do. You're probably going to kind of pick and choose. And so the things you choose might be the things that are the most important to you. And you might um, also, um, people's reactions, the way people react, you might find who is who is most important to you. I think also the interesting thing about sadness is for me, it's like as long as I, I I'm always there's a part of me that's happy when I feel sad because I'm like, oh, like I cared about something like yeah. I cared enough about something that when it was taken away from me. It I felt bad and I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like a machine or I feel like. I have to constantly remind myself that I'm human or I feel like I'm constantly becoming human in some way. And so as much as, I don't know, there is something to me. I'm like, like I feel sadness because I'm like, oh, I really cared about, I trusted this person. And then that person violated my trust and that sucks. But, mm -hmm. but I'm like, how wonderful that despite everything I've been through, I still have the capacity to trust people. And I don't know, like I'm always interested in when you look at any emotion, like, what happened right before that emotion, if it's a negative emotion, usually the thing that was there before it is such a positive, wonderful thing. And the same thing with wonderful things. If you think about like the moment, the, you know, the last time you like really fell in love, like what was there before that love was, you know, like is usually on like the counter to that thing. And, and so I think it's always the way that emotions flow through us. And like, there's always one right before, right after. And there's usually this, you know, you, you can only have that negative or that positive thing because of the counter to it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like both sad and happy at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like also within these, when we talk about poetry versus plot or narrative structure, 
we have such a control narrative in the rom-com and these different genres mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, or any genre, any kind of, um, you know, specific genre where we're like, this is, the, this is stage one, this is stage two, this is kind of very curated feelings that you're supposed to be in movies and such are curated that, you know, um, you have uh, specific acts and you have specific turning points and the darkest moment comes specifically before the the climax or whatever it is and you reach the moment. So my point is just or what I'm trying to say is like about how the poet explores, you know, these terrains, you know, without preconceived notions and kind of finds the truth that doesn't fit the paradigm or doesn't fit the the anomalies and and finds the um exceptions to the rules and the and the different ways in which we can subvert or uh translate the rules and all those kinds of things and what do you think about that about how the poets uh able to navigate these terrains within these uh structures i i've really never looked at the traditional structure when yeah. writing a poem um is it okay if I read a poem, actually? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this this is kind of a poem about sadness. <laughs> so yeah. I thought it would be appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taxidermy. Birds chirp behind a locked door. That's why I never go down to the basement. I am afraid of my own temptation to let them out. Afraid of my own need for touch. For that moment of breathlessness when I feel their feathers furious against my cheeks. I want to open myself to him. I am turning the key in the lock to my apartment steps from my bedroom. But my memory of Alberta is reduced to a mother holding her baby up to touch the head of a moose pinned to the wall. If only someone had held me close to death in that way, maybe I wouldn't feel so near it now. He is the one to let the birds out so that he confuses my body with the birds. He, he could never be certain if, that he, if what he was feeling was my heart beating or the fluttering of wings. His hands are covered in clay. Maybe it is really him in ruins, but I have cut my long hair, clipped my nails, and trimmed my eyelashes. On the wall, there is an empty oval of mahogany. Thank you, thank you. I have a question. This is something I've, I ask a lot of people because I genuinely am curious and I have yet to figure out necessarily a great answer, but if aliens came down, Uh (laughs) but no understanding of anything we do and they asked you, what is a poem? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How, like, how would you, what would you say to them so that they could look at what we have and know, like, this is a poem versus a novel or a yeah. story or an advertisement? <laughs> I would say it's an excerpt of a life. Ew. Okay. Because <laughs> it's, it contains a lot of emotion. It contains um, action a lot of the time. And so it's just a little part of the person who wrote it and a part of the person who reads it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing about poetry because I was also thinking, I'm also curious with, with people that like, I mean, I write write poetry, you know, but like for people who are like published and have like these things, I'm like the role of the reader and 
the requirement, what, what a poem asks of a reader, like this, this like second part of the completion of the poem, essentially compared to something like a TV show where the, the consumer is quite, can be very not involved. It's a very safe place to watch a TV, sh- mm. a traditional TV show. You don't have to be emotional. You don't have to reach out to it. It, it kind of all comes to you, if mm. that makes sense. Mm. And I find that a lot of people, I find it very hard to read poetry. I hate reading poetry when I'm not willing, when I'm like, I don't want to get up and reach out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, if, is this making sense to yeah, everyone? Right. Yeah. But yeah. I do feel like when when I'm feeling capable and excited about giving and moving forward and, and going to something, poetry is like the most amazing, beautiful thing. But when I'm feeling emotionally restrictive or emotion, like it's too... I'm like, it's not safe enough for me to reach out emotionally. I have a very hard time reading poetry. Mm. And this circles mm-hmm. back to what we were talking about in the beginning of the show about the problem with poetry and the problem with um, kind of getting people to, that people have a lot of resistance, a lot of, uh, you know, and their mental resistance, I find, because of this this problem. But um, I think re- hearing the poet read the poem sometimes, like a lot of times, half the time or most of the time, helps a lot. Because they're they're able to connect with the mm-hmm. they something about leaping off the page and really hearing the poet's voice does help a lot with understanding I think which is I don't know it's just different from other art forms because you really, there's something about the you know communication that comes through with hearing the poet read it I think. right I definitely know. it's like yeah. the poet's signature on it yeah it's something a little bit more intimate but um, yeah so as we start to wrap up let me just make a few announcements. Um, Ready for Brooklyn, you're listening to the Truth to Power show on Ready for Brooklyn. Uh, it airs every Monday at 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, we rebroadcast right now at Thursdays at 9 a.m., although that's uh, anytime subject to change, so please check the schedule at readyforbrooklyn.org. Ready for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So to help support our mission, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Uh, every cent continues to help us, helps us continue to stay on air. Uh, please support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. All contributions are tax deductible. Again, that's radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. Or you can go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash truth to power and sponsor this particular show. Um, radioforbrooklyn.org slash iPhone or slash Android will allow you to Get the apps on your iPhone or, or Android, and you can listen to uh, us on the go. Uh, keep up with uh, current events at readyforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter, where you can uh, subscribe to our monthly newsletter for latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. Uh, I believe uh, in June, our fourth year anniversary will be coming up, for, uh, I believe, fourth year. Um, yeah, uh, so definitely sign up on the newsletter to find out more about that. Uh, anybody have any last, uh, comments or less, you want to, Alina, you want to tell us where we can follow you or where we can, uh, find about posts of Queens or anything like that. My website is alenajennings.com and poets of Queens, poets of org is the website. Uh-huh. Good, good. Awesome. And yeah. if anyone wants to connect to their deep sadness and turn it into <laughs> a story, we do a, a workshop starting in June for meditative writing, which you can find at meditativewriting.org. Thank you. Thank you. So once again, uh, Truth to Power shows every Monday at 8 a.m. Uh, you can find out about our archives at uh, radiofbrooklyn.org slash truth to power. 
and listen to older episodes. We have about, I think this is like about 71 or so or 70 episode. So uh, all you catch up, binge listen to all the rest of them. Uh, originally, we listened to, um, well, I'll go the the, the um, original song that we listened to was Famous Blue Raincoat by Leonard Cohen. And now we're listening to Going Out to the Trappies Swinger by Iron and Wine. Uh, so we'll listen a little bit to that. It's a nine-minute song. We'll listen a few minutes before the next show. So we'll listen a few minutes to that, and I hope you all enjoy. Thank you so much. Tell my mother not to worry 